Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, November 4th, 2010. My brain hurts. (laughs) The the forecast says that we're going to get snow here in Indiana tonight. What is the world coming to? You know, here I was planning on, you know, global warming, being able to put some palm trees here in my front yard in Indiana. No, it's going to snow. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Why do we do this? You know, you're thinking, what, what, what's your big beef anyways, Chris? You know, you just seem like you're so intolerant. You know what? You want to know the reason I do this? is because... I am very deeply concerned for the people who are being deceived by these folks that are twisting God's word and speaking falsely about him. I, I Secondly, I am concerned about the deceivers, but um, realistically, I, I don't have a lot of hope, and I don't hold out a lot of hope that those folks who are becoming wealthy and getting rich and becoming famous off of their false doctrine that they're that they're that they're really going to repent and uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance by correctly handling God's word and uh, teaching God's word correctly. I, I just don't see that happening. So um, my big concern is uh, th- th- find a way to reach out to the people who are being deceived by these folks, uh, which is one of the reasons why we use humor here on the program because. Sometimes that humor element has the effect of being a basically a a big huge bucket of ice water you know here uh, and uh, it it shocks people's systems and um and so that's one of the reasons why we use humor plus the other reason why we use humor is because um i don't take those people seriously i mean i mean if you're going to sit here and tell me about the intergalactic realm and and start twisting the bible into making it and make all these bizarre statements about god um that cannot be found in god's revelation then I I don't need to take your theology seriously. I don't need to fear your theology. I, in fact, I don't fear your theology or your so-called prophet status at all. 
And uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about this whole thing. So, anyway, that that's one of the reasons. You know, sometimes I get these questions. Why do you do this, Chris? You know, you know. Well, that's the answer to the question. The answer to the question is the reason I do this is uh, to find a way to reach out to those people who are being deceived. I don't, I don't want them uh, ending up in hell. I don't want the deceivers ending up in hell either. And and when it comes to teaching falsely about God, especially in the Christian church. Who do these people think that they are? Do you think that God doesn't care? Do they really think that they're going to get away with this? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any and just weird days that we live in. Anyway, you know, like I said, you know, talk about weird days. It's going to snow here tonight in Indiana. And it's it's only November 4th. You know, I'm looking at my weather widget on my uh, on my on my computer and it and it has snow and rain kind of mixed together. Apparently tonight in Indiana, we're going to, you know, we're going to get snow flurries coming off of Lake Michigan. And, uh, and you know, it, it starts off as rain and then turns into snow. And, uh, yeah, it's only November something. I mean, I expect this kind of behavior from the weather when I'm, when I'm in Minnesota. But I don't expect it when I'm here in Indiana. You know, again, I was really counting on global warming. You know, when I lived in California, we had a palm tree. Uh, we had an acacia tree, too. I mean, I, I see, now I can't plant my palm tree in my front yard here in Indiana. And I'm very disappointed in this. Instead, I have to put the put in something that, you know, sheds its leaves and, you know, in the fall. And then it looks like a dead tree during the winter. And, and then, you know, gets tree, you know, gets leaves again in the spring and in the, in, in the summer. And then it goes to the whole thing, you know. I, I'm telling you, you know, it, it, if you, what we ought to do is plant a lot of palm trees uh, in like Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and then that'll f- like you know f- totally fake out Mother Nature, and then she'll start you know giving them more warm. You know that's how it works in my world. Anyway, <sighs> what do we have on deck for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith? Today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I, you know, it, it, I was going back through my program notes of topics that I wanted to get to and uh, haven't gotten to, and uh, and so I'm going to backtrack a little bit and and talk about some things that uh, that I had intended to get to for a while, but uh, with uh, the debate and other things that have you know impinged upon my time, I I, I didn't get a chance to get back to them. So what we're going to do today, um, some good stuff. I got two good things I want you to hear. Um, And one of them is from uh, Perry Noble's New Spring Leadership Conference. And you're thinking, what? There was something good that you heard there, Chris? Are you repenting? No. Uh, Judd Wilhite. I I mentioned this after I had gotten back from uh, Perry Noble's uh, leadership conference, and um, that uh, Judd Wilhite, who was uh, he's the pastor of a seeker-driven church in Las Vegas. I think it's a Central Christian. I I I think that's what it's called. I I may be wrong, but anyway, uh, he um, he used to do the whole. uh, You know, he was one of the originators of the uh, Midget Cannon Expansion Pack. And, uh, and, you know, so, I mean, he, his show, his, I mean, his church (laughs) show, his church service was a big show for a while. And uh, he's repented of that. And he actually mentioned it in his um, plenary 
conference speech at uh, the uh, New Spring Leadership uh, Conference of a couple of months ago. And uh, I wanted to go back and play for you uh, what Judd Wilhite said there. And so, um, you know, you, you need to hear this. And I, I think this is probably one of the best apologetics against the seeker-driven show, and it comes from a guy who's done it. So I, I, I know I had mentioned this, but I want you to hear it in his words. And then, um, you know, sometimes you find great stuff in the in the most bizarre places. And uh, and uh, I came across um, a, a part of an audio. Uh, presentation from a, a, a an African preacher by the name of Femi Adel, Adeleye. I I probably am messing up his name. I apologize, Femi. And he has uh, he really uh, I think this is from the Luzon conference. And I'm not a big fan of the whole Luzon thing, but he get, you know this is a a very well spoken, humble African pastor speaking out against. The prosperity gospel, and um, and you know this is a gentleman who is seeing firsthand the uh, the the damage being wrought by the uh, prosperity gospel in uh, in his in his lands, and uh, he, he, this is just a very well said, well spoken, uh, uh, apologetic biblical critique of the uh, prosperity gospel, and I want you to hear it. And then I'm going to juxtapose that with the next installment of uh, of Crazy Talk from um, uh, Dr. Cindy Trim and Prophetess Juanita Bynum. Now, if, if you uh, subscribe to our podcast, uh, then you know that uh, Tuesday's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I named it the Tinfoil Pyramid Hat episode. And uh, for very good reasons. But I also said that, you know, that uh, there was a that we will be uh, playing more stuff from Dr. Cindy Trim and uh, Juanita Bynum. And the reason being is because, well, Dr. Cindy Trim and Dr. Rick Warren appear at the very beginning of Dr. Laverne Adams's book uh, about being about God's divine destiny. (sighs) That destiny, by the way, is the name of this year's heresy hurricane. Uh, and I'm thinking that uh, that there's a secondary hurricane that isn't quite as strong, uh, but uh, it's it's named Whisper. Yeah, if you heard yesterday's edition of Fighting for it, it seems like there's a uh, quite a few folks out there that are simultaneously putting out products into these Christian marketplace, help claiming to be able to help you uh, well hear the voice of God, and uh, Bill Hybels being uh, at the uh, top of the heap there. Anyway, uh, so we'll have our second installment. Of uh, the, uh, the the Doctor Cindy Trim uh, Juanita Bynum thing, and uh, my prayer is that those of you who know folks who listen to Juanita Bynum and Doctor Cindy Trim, you've got to reach out to these folks. You have got to reach out to them with the truth and show them that they are being deceived by. Hucksters. The, the 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 Dr. Cindy Trim is not a theologian. She is a charlatan. She is a huckster. We're talking. We're talking about a, you know a, somebody offering three dollar bills and claim and and selling magic beans. I mean that's what we're talking about here. And unfortunately, there's a whole lot of folks 
who are listening to these people as if what they're teaching them is actually in the Word of God, and it's not. And as a result of it, they're being deceived, and they're deceiving others. And what is at stake is their very soul. What is that? And that's exactly what's at stake. You don't want your neighbors to end up in hell, and false doctrine is not... Um, it's not something that doesn't matter. It's something that does matter. It's something that's highly dangerous, and it does send people to hell. And so you want to reach out to your neighbors and speak the truth in love and help set them free from this craziness. Anyway, and then in hour number two today, um, I finally am going to be able to get back to this, and that is um, I'm going to be playing Judah Smith's um, speech from the uh, New Spring Leadership Conference because, uh, folks, Judah Smith is another one of these, um, well, he's a charlatan. Uh, that's the only way I can put it. And, I, I mean, I was flabbergasted. When I was at the New Spring Leadership uh, Conference, apparently if you were somebody who was in attendance and you had, like, zero biblical discernment, uh, then you were, th- then, you know, then Judah Smith's session um uh, was supposedly the one the the, the hit it out of the park uh, home run grand slam uh, um, session there at the New Spring Leadership Conference. I mean, so much so that um, uh, Stephen Furtick, you know, said that uh, Judah Smith Judah Smith is the LeBron James of uh, of um, Preaching? No, uh, LeBron James is not the thing that comes to mind uh, when I think of Judah Smith. No, no, that's kind of the wrong metaphor. Um, I think of instead, I kind of think of that guy who was uh, responsible for that big Ponzi scheme on Wall Street. Uh, you know, where he stole a bunch of people's money and you know, and and then and then ran off with it. Yeah, that. So no. It, it, Judah Smith is not like a gifted basketball player. He's more like a really slick um, Ponzi scheme artist. He's like a really, really slick embezzler. Um, yeah, that that's what he's really more like. But anyway, we'll get into that as we uh, dive into the program farther. So make yourself comfortable. Absolutely, comfort is a very important thing. Uh, for those of you in Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, um <clears throat> Or frigid parts of the uh, of the Midwest in the United States, fuzzy bunny slippers. Well, I don't want to say they're mandatory. I, I don't want to bind your conscience and basically say that it's not a, that it's a sin that if you don't wear fuzzy bunny slippers. But must tell you, they definitely do enhance your listener experience. And you know, your listener experience that is primary in my mind. So I, I want you to be able to enjoy the program at its height. And if you don't own a pair of fuzzy bunny slippers, um, well, then visit fightingforthefaith.com, and you'll see along the side, uh, the, uh, the left-hand side of our website, there is a link that'll take you, uh, th- that w- we have Fuzzy Bunny's f- uh, slippers featured there, and uh, you can click on that, and it'll take you over to amazon.com, and, uh, and uh, a small portion of, uh, you, if you decide to purchase a pair of Fuzzy Bunny slippers, a small portion of what you spend does go to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Just wanted to let you know that, you know. <sighs> so, <laughs> the, oh, and of course, all the other stuff is still still comes into play if you would like to enjoy an adult beverage. We don't have a problem with that as long as you understand the biblical prohibition 
This is a gift from God. It is to be enjoyed and not abused. I don't know what it is about us uh, sinners. We have a tendency to abuse these wonderful gifts that God has given us. And uh, we should not be abusing them, and God does not want us to abuse them. They are there for our benefit as a gift, and then you are not to take that gift and bring it yourself to the point of drunkenness or uh, uh, chemical dependency. Yeah, so if, you, if, if you're not capable of doing that, well, then you need to you know, avoid it anyway. All right, so let's dive into the program proper. Here is um, – I, I talked about this a couple months ago. Here is Judd Wilhite. Um, he's, he pastors a seeker-driven church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and you've got to hear what this guy has to say. This is a guy who, well, he's done the whole entertainment show thing, telling the jokes and, and done the whole pastoral church spectacle thing, and I think he was one of the original guys who helped develop and perfect the Midget Cannon Expansion Pack, which uh, many of uh, the folks in the uh, seeker-driven movement have... Um, have used and utilized, but uh, that being the case, listen carefully to Judd Wilhite. Here he is. Teach the truth, release it, and release it in love. Listen, don't try to be cool. Too many churches trying to be cool. Don't even try to be creative. Now, I'm going to point this out. Who is he speaking to? Well, an entire auditorium, I don't want to say church, an entire auditorium full of seeker-driven pastors. Okay, this is... At the New Spring Leadership Conference, and and you, you gotta you have to correctly identify what Perry Noble is and what he's trying to be. Perry Noble is an up and coming young bishop in the whole purpose driven, seeker driven movement. Okay, he along with Rick Warren and others puts himself out, hangs a shingle, basically claiming to be a pastor to pastors. Okay, well here's the problem: is is that uh, nobody elected him to be a bishop. And uh, he's unimpeachable, and he won't be held accountable to the Word of God. But he holds, he puts out leadership conferences so that he can help pastor pastors. And so, that being the case, you know, <clears throat> you, you just need to keep that in mind. That's what's going on here. So, Judd Wilhite is a seeker-driven guy, a purpose-driven guy, and he's and uh, well, he's doing a little mea culpa here. So he's just told this this whole entire auditorium full of uh, seeker-driven guys to don't try to be cool and don't try to be creative, which sounds like purpose-driven heresy to me, but let's continue. Everybody's trying to be creative. Just try to tell the truth about yourself and the truth about Jesus. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if you try to be original, you'll never be original. He said, "All in, in literature and arts, he said, everybody who tries to be original isn't original. He said, but if you try to tell the truth and you don't care one rip, my word, one rip about being original, you will be original and just in your own way. You will inevitably be original. So we came back at our worship team, our programming team, our arts team years ago, and we said, you know what? What we're going to be concerned about is telling the truth about God and the truth about our own lives. And that's the main thing. And it meant some things for us. People were walking out of our church, and I'm telling you, man, we could wire it up. Dude, we could have, we in Vegas, we could have people swinging from the rafters. We could have them swirling down over the people. We could do mustier right there in our auditorium. I'm serious. We got that kind of people, that kind of talent, that kind of gear. We can, there, there are no limits. Bring it. 
You know, the Blue Man group cracking me up. One of the Blue Man guys saw some of our guys, uh, uh, you know, at a, at, a, at a venue out in Las Vegas and, and heard they were part of our church. He goes, dude, the word is in the entertainment circles, the best free show in town is at Central. So that, that was cool from that standpoint, but I want you to know what was on our heart. We made a strategic decision and we said, less programming. Because we felt like people in the parking lot of our church were walking out talking more about their experience and the cool stuff and all the swizz bang stuff we could do, and they were talking less about Jesus. Man, is that a confession. Basically confessing that the big show, the midget cannon expansion pack, he could do it all. And what was the problem? People were getting into the parking lot and they were saying, wow, what a great experience. Rather than saying, wow, what a great Savior, what a great Jesus. In other words, the big show was getting in the way of people seeing Jesus. We started pulling our programming back. Uh, less props. I used to, I've done it all, man. Rap, you know, swung down from the ceiling, you know, you, you know, preached upside down on a gurney, um, you know, just done it all. I could go on and on. I could go on for 30 minutes about all the crap I've done over the years, right? And that's good. Like, if you're doing that this weekend, God bless you, man. I'm sure it's going to be a really powerful message. <laughs> it's going to impact people. Good for you. you know, I'm, I'm not down in that. Like, every, every, in every context is different. But in our context, here's what happened. We- he should be down on it because if that's what people are doing this Sunday— they're getting in the way of people seeing Jesus. You start realizing people were walking out, and here's what they were saying. They were saying, man, I like that Judd guy. He preached upside down. I like that Judd guy. You know, he, he, he scaffold, scaffolded in from the ceiling. I like that Judd guy. I like that Judd guy. And we said, that's the wrong message. That's failure, cataclysmic, absolute, total failure for a church. I used to get real concerned about humor, you know, and really working jokes, man. I could, you know, and once you get a crowd going, you know, especially a Vegas crowd, even a sober, somewhat sober Vegas crowd, man, you get them going. I mean, you know, but they'd walk out and they'd say, he's so funny. And the Holy Spirit just convicted me, man. This is not about you, little man. Who do you think you are? And uh, we made strategic shit. I'm way more subdued. There are times where I don't tell jokes intentionally. There are times we don't use humor now where we would have in the past. I think it's just a maturing process. There are times where we only use those creative elements if it's going to drive home the truth of Jesus and the truth of who he is for our lives. And our goal, the win, is people in the parking lots walking out to their cars going, Jesus, man, he's captured that guy's heart. That Jesus, man, there, there may be something to this Christian thing. I may want to reconsider. Just tell the truth and love. And let God show up in that. Wow. That is, uh, man, again, quite a confession. And you know what? It's far more powerful coming from a guy who's done the swinging from the rafters, tried to put on the big show on a Sunday morning. We don't go to church to be entertained. We're supposed to be going to church to do sacred things and to hear sacred words, to hear the Word of God and have us all be pointed to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ.
not what a great rock star pastor you have, not what a great creative pastor you have, not what a great show that was put on. Wow, what a great worship experience and all of that. Because ultimately, those things on a Sunday morning really point us away from Christ. Point us away from Jesus. And all of it, sadly, is being done in the name of Jesus, in the name of evangelism. And here, Jed Wilhite is making it clear that what happened is is that he was the one getting in the way of people seeing Jesus. Powerful confession. All right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes, uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon, that's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. 
Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package, sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Morning. If your pastor's create creative show every Sunday is getting in the way of Jesus and his job to preach the gospel and to preach the word, you need to call him to repentance or you need to find another pastor. That's just all there is to it. Yeah, those guys actually listen when <clears throat> they run out of money. Anyway, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions and partnership with us in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. 
When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so and make a one-time contribution by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, moving along. Uh, next thing, um, the name of this segment is entitled "Integrity Prosperity Gospel" by Femi Adeleye. Now, uh, Femi is an African pastor. He is articulate. He is biblical. He is humble. It's wonderful, and he is giving a sound biblical um, critique of the prosperity gospel and uh, the damage that it has it, it is basically wreaking in uh, n- not just Africa but the United States worth passing along because what we're going to do is we're going to juxtapose this with our next segment from uh, Dr. Cindy Trim and Juanita Bynum. Now, this is important stuff because as you listen to uh, Femi, what you're going to what you're going to hear him say is that uh, these folks are not teaching what's in accord with what the Bible teaches. They're more like um, well, charlatans, more like Michael Madoff. That's what he's, you know, the points that he makes. So without any further ado, here is uh, Femi. And again, this is worth passing along. Good stuff. Here, here we go. On a Sunday, I asked my cousin why he had not gone to church. He answered by telling me that in response to his pastor's preaching, he had donated his Volkswagen to to his church, expecting God to give him a Mercedes-Benz car in return. Now, I know his, his accent's a little thick here. He's talking about his cousin. He asked his cousin why he hasn't been going to church, and has basically said, well, I donated my Volkswagen car, his car, to the church and expected from God to get a Mercedes-Benz in return. This is not some uh, this, some strange person out there, some anonymous person. This is Femi's cousin, whose pastor has been preaching the prosperity gospel. Now, listen to what he says. After some months of waiting and not seeing his miracle car materialize, he thought God had disappointed him, so he stopped going to church. I told him that God had not disappointed him, rather he had been misled. My cousin had been attending a prosperity preaching church. The prosperity or health and wealth gospel is one of the fastest growing different gospels today, cutting across denominations. This gospel asserts that believers have the right to the blessings of health and wealth, and that they can obtain these blessings through positive confessions and the sowing of seed faith. Although the Bible affirms that God cares enough to provide for the needs of his people, and although there are legitimate ways of working to have those needs met, this gospel makes the pursuit of material things 
and physical well-being end in themselves. You can learn much more about the prosperity gospel in the multiplex this afternoon. For now, I'll just highlight some of its features. The gospel focuses primarily on material possessions, physical well-being, and success in this life, which mostly includes abundant financial resources, good health, clothes, housing, cars, promotion in business, as well as other endeavors of life. The extent of material acquisition is often equated with God's approval. Scripture is often interpreted or manipulated to promote the main emphasis of this gospel. For instance, Luke 6, 38, which says, Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. It's often used to motivate or mobilize people to give during collections at church. This verse, however, is often quoted out of context and abused. It is found in the context of Jesus' teaching on love and mercy and how we should relate to and treat other people. The full paragraph begins with verse 7 which says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Following in God's example, believers should be hesitant in judging others and realize that God will treat them in the same way as they treat others. The passage is about relationships, not treating others or judging them in the way we do not want to be judged or treated. The text is therefore not about giving to God financially, nor expecting returns for what we give. This has however been twisted to indicate that God will return in double or in a hundredfold whatever one gives in offerings. Now, very few people using this passage as a basis for collecting offerings refer to the unusually strong words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the same chapter. For in Luke 6, 24 to 25, the Lord Jesus Christ says, But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Several other scripture passages are easily misquoted or quoted out of context and misinterpreted. Other shortcomings of this gospel include the tendency to distort the mission of Jesus Christ from primarily coming to save us from our sins to coming to make us rich. While some preach that Jesus has come both to save us from sins and to make us rich, it is very rare to hear preaching on repentance or salvation from sin in prosperity gospel circles. This different gospel fails to see 
that all forms of giving to God are primarily acts of worship. Instead, it teaches that tithing or giving to God is an investment that must yield results or returns. Importantly, this gospel distorts the person of Christ and misleads people by teaching that Jesus was materially, materially rich. Furthermore, the prosperity gospel often feeds on the greed of its teachers at the expense of the needs of their followers. One thing is certain. Jesus neither preached nor teach prosperity gospel. All that Jesus taught about earthly possession, as we've been reminded, come to us as warnings. For example, in Luke 12, 15, it clearly says, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things it possesses. In Matthew 13, 22, Jesus also warned against the deceitfulness of riches, which he refers to as the unrighteous mammon in Luke 16, 9. The hermeneutics of this gospel raises more questions than it answers. For instance, does it affirm and point people to the cross of Christ? Is the lifestyle of those who benefit from it consistent with the life of Christ? And more importantly, is the gospel good news to the poor? While the prosperity gospel often wears the mask of advocacy for the poor, it is hardly good news for the poor, since in most situations, it is the leaders and the pastors who wear better suits, who drive better cars, and who acquire bigger homes. There is a deep sense of injustice and immorality to all this when one considers that in most of our contexts, the plight of the poor is severe. Some of those who keep sowing to the prosperity gospel can hardly afford regular meals or other basic essentials such as shelter or paying school fees for their children. Why should any follower of Jesus support a gospel that tends to align much more with celebrity culture in depriving the poor of the dignity and the respect they deserve? Rather than appreciate poor Rather than appreciate their endurance of living often in subhuman conditions or working to alleviate their situation, some preachers connive with popular culture to dangle unrealistic shortcuts to prosperity. I want to submit to us this morning that the prosperity gospel is nothing less than a seduction into false delusion. It contradicts biblical teaching on work by offering shortcuts to material success. How do we respond to this gospel? First, I suggest that we need to recognize that the prosperity gospel is primarily about money and that it, contra it contradicts both the life of Jesus and the purpose for which he died on the cross. The French theologian Jacques Ellul in his book Money and Power argues that money is power, a spirit, 
a would-be god, a rival master. Money does not merely tempt, it engulfs. It spins its web around people, forcing them into its service. Secondly, I suggest that we need to take the plight of the poor seriously enough to reject this gospel and work at better and alternative ways of meeting the needs of the poor than offering shortcuts that do not work. Finally, and not least, I suggest that in whatever way we ourselves have aligned with this gospel, we need to repent. Even if we have not preached it, in whatever way we have used the gospel or Christian ministry to idolize material things or acquire more things than we really need or twisted scripture, scripture to justify affluent lifestyles, we need to repent and return to the simplicity and the compassion of Christ. Uncle John Stott has suggested that our lives is in fact a pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. So we should travel light and live simply. Amen. Oh, it, mm, that was not only spot on true, a good, lucid, biblical critique but it was impassioned, and I love the spirit in which he delivered it. Mm, 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 mm. False gospel. And you know what, folks? I'm sure there were people in the audience who were advocates and promoters of the prosperity gospel. And so uh, Femi really showed some bravery to speak the truth to such a diverse crowd because I'm sure he did not win any friends in the seeker-driven, uh, well, not seeker-driven, but uh, prosperity gospel crowd. And this is a man who knows what poverty is. We Americans, yeah, we, our poorest folks have more than uh, the poor in other countries. So, I mean, it... I don't think we we even begin to understand what real poverty is. But the prosperity gospel robs the poor of their dignity and offers them shortcuts to prosperity that don't work. It's a seduction. And ultimately, he started this off by talking about his cousin who was no longer going to church because God had let him down. Because he was told that God's a big genie in the sky and that if he sows money into somebody's ministry that God will returned to him a hundredfold, so he was trying to trade up his Volkswagen for a Mercedes-Benz. And that kind of story is not atypical, it's typical. We've got to reach the folks who are trapped inside of this seductive, false gospel and preach to to them the truth. Jesus is not about you being prosperous in this lifetime. And that that false gospel points people away from the cross. Ah, good, 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 good. Well spoken, well said. Amen to that truth. Amen. All right, moving along here. Um, 
talking about strange stuff. Um, we've, I've, well, we're going to do part two of um, the Cindy Trim thing. So that means we need... You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Yeah, now, uh, this segment here, um, this is part two. Uh, the, the reason why we're, we've steered into uh, Cindy Trim and are featuring this woman's crazy teaching, well, is because, you know, thank, it's, well, we can thank Rick Warren for leading us here. Is that, that's the best way that I can put it. Uh, because Rick Warren has made a point of trying to reach out to Dr. Laverne Adams and wrote the foreword to her book about divine destiny, uh, which is clearly in the prosperity heresy camp. And uh, and uh, Rick Warren wrote the foreword to her book, and Cindy Trim wrote the prologue to it. So, it, I, you know, thanks to Rick Warren, we now know who Cindy Trim is. And so I, I think it's important to uh, listen to Cindy Trim and her crazy stuff because, you know what, you might know people. You might have neighbors or friends who think that this woman is a woman of God and that she's preaching the truth? No, she's Michael Madoff, the female version of Michael Madoff, the guy who's made off with a bunch of money. Yeah, that's what she is. She is a charlatan, somebody who's created some kind of a biblical uh, Ponzi scheme. And who's the one benefiting? She is. So is Juanita Bynum. And uh, yeah, this 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 has nothing to do with the Bible. It has nothing to do with the truth. It has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. And you've got to hear it to believe that people are, have the audacity to preach this way. And the sad part is, is that this was at a conference called Women on the Front Line, and there's a whole bunch, thousands of women at this conference who are eating up this pig slop thinking that what they're what they're getting is uh, is biblical truth and really all they're getting is really really bad pig slop so with that in mind uh, <clears throat> here is uh, some more from uh, uh Juanita Bynum and Cindy Trim God you move into the 10th dimension which is a number of authority and law now, this is a little bit of uh, redundancy from our last edition. Now, you need to hear a little bit of this context so that we can move forward. You, what you're going to hear is her talk about the gospel. Listen up. Because you're moving into that dimension. Once you move into that dimension, then you begin to legislate here on this earth realm. This is where you get into Psalm 82. The Bible said, have not I called you gods? And I know a lot of people get it mixed up, but it simply means my earthly representative. It's wow. like, it's like um, the Supreme Court. They cannot try every case, and so they have circuit courts all around the United States. And so we're like the little court system here in the earth realm. We, are, we, are, we, don't, we, don't, we don't create legislation, we enact it and enforce it, because it comes from the supreme God, every piece of legislation. And so if there are illegal laws, remember in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, the Bible said that when Satan moves in the earth realm, he's going to attempt to change laws and times. Now, 
The Bible said in the book of Job, you shall decree a thing yes. and it shall be established. This is where you get into a spiritual authority. To decree a thing means to legislate it. It means to enforce it in the earth realm. Simply put, the, the enemy... Wants this is literally just a litany of absurdity. ...wants to release words into the atmosphere called curses. When he releases it into the atmosphere, we have the legitimate power to veto it. We, we, we hold the trump card. The Bible said whatever you bound on earth, you bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. Let me give you the correct interpretation. This is legal languages. Uh, that's actually talking about the forgiveness of sins. The legal language simply means that we are God's representative here in this earth realm. And whatever we allow to occur in the earth realm, God allows it. Wow. And whatever we, we allow in the realm of the spirit, God allows it. But whatever we bind, whatever we disallow in the earth realm, God disallows it. In other words, what we say yes to, God says yes to. Why? Because the Bible said he created the earth in six days. But on the seventh day, he rested. And he gave man a sevenfold mandate. He said to mankind, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, have dominion, enjoy a healthy lifestyle, and be productive. He never told man, get a job. He said, work. Work is different from a job. Work is attached to purpose. Work is attached to assignment. And work is attached to potential. That's why Jesus said, I must work the works of him while it is yet day. He didn't get a job. He did the work of the ministry. And so the church is here and a mandate is a precursor to a mindset. What? A mandate is a pre... This is just literally one litany of absurdity after another. And apparently they're all hooked together in her mind. Oh, boy. Or if God said that you should do something, he gives you the mindset. So the, 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 the Great Commission is misunderstood. The Bible said go into... So, okay, so now she's going to talk about how the Great Commission is misunderstood. You're about to hear an attack against the gospel by a woman who claims that she is a preacher of the gospel and a so-called prophetess by the name of Juanina Bynum. Listen carefully. To all the world and preach the gospel. We have to clarify what the gospel is. The gospel is not Jesus saying. If you just preach the message of Jesus. Did you hear that? She said the gospel is not the message that Jesus saves. Yeah, let's um, back this up just a smidge. Here we go again. Said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have to clarify what the gospel is. The gospel is not Jesus saved. If you just preach the message of Jesus saved, Jesus said, I am the door. That means that you're going to get people to the door. You'll preach at the door. You'll pay your tithes at the door. And you're going to die at the door. But if someone said, I'm going to give you the keys to a kingdom, I'm going to be mad if all I get is a door. I want to know. Wow, this doesn't even make any sense. See, if you're just if you're preaching the message, the gospel that Jesus says, all you're doing, well, Jesus says he's a door, so all you're doing is getting people to a door. That's ridiculous. This is unbelievable. So she's attacking the gospel message that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he's our savior, all under the name all under the name of this dominion thing and the 10th dimensions and all this bizarre stuff. And Juanita Bynum keeps standing up like, oh, this is the most profound stuff ever. No, this is pure satanic garbage. What the kingdom 
is. The kingdom here in the earth realm is its systems. Systems. The Bible said go into the world. The world, that word world comes from the Greek word cosmos. Psalm 24 verse 1 said, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That means that the earth and the world can... Now, as I'm watching this video, you know, as I'm playing the audio here, it showed the audience taking notes on this stuff. What, this woman is speaking absolute gibberish and complete poppycock. And yet there are women in the, at the, in the audience, thousands and thousands of them, taking notes on this. We need to stop and pray that God would set them free from this delusion. What this woman is saying is absolutely blasphemous gibberish that attacks the very biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. And I come back to my question. Why would Rick Warren want his name associated with these people? Not be the same thing. The earth is the terra firma, which you put your feet on. But the world is the system that drives the progress of humanity. Now the systems are 12 fold. 12 is a number of kingdom authority. You've got the sovereign. You've got a sovereign kingdom. Now, systems operates in kingdoms. The Bible said the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That means when you go into kingdom initiatives, the church then has to not only be significant, but find relevance. How do you find relevance? You only find relevance once you understand the kingdom. The kingdom of God is different from the kingdoms of this world. When Satan tempted Jesus, based on his spiritual authority, he tried to seduce him and said I'll give you his third his third temptation I'll give you the kingdoms of this world now Jesus said look the first thing is I'm going to serve God the second thing I'm going to worship him these are two words the same word he's using them interchangeably one means that I'm going to honor him with my heart the next thing is I'm going to use everything that is about me to service God it has the it has the connotation of a king priest it has the connotation of king priest. And so Jesus knew that the kingdoms were already his. The problem with the church is we are going to the world to give us what we already have. God has already given the church dominion over systems. We don't have to write to any government to underwrite any church program. Why? The kingdoms of this world belong to us. Now, there are, there, are, there are eight kingdoms. Number one, there's the sovereign kingdom. The sovereign kingdom works in rank and in order. This is where you get matrons and mentos, okay? This is where... Where you get what? Mentrons and mentos? Oh, man. How about gobstoppers and jujubes? I mean, what on earth is she talking about? And there are thousands of women in the audience taking notes on this stuff as if what she's teaching them is the biblical truth. This is just absolute gibberish and nonsense. And you know what? Cindy Trim and Juanita Bynum have made a small fortune fleecing, fleecing church women stealing their money and giving them false doctrine in its place. Unbelievable.
of the fivefold ministry gifts works in ranks and in order and each one of the fivefold ministry gifts become the tacticians of the kingdom and then we were mantles each one of us our mantles determines number one the angelic host that reinforces us number two it is the shrouding upon our flesh that hides the flesh in the realm of the spirit so that when people see us they don't see our characteristics but they see the characteristics of christ hence the necessity to understand the reason why the prophetic is important in the church the prophetic is not only the unction to function it is a the unction to function unbelievable mantle that God puts upon us and clothes us in that when we move through the systems of the universe we become like gravitons now when you move in dimension what's a graviton hang on a second. I have never even heard this word graviton I have no what is a graviton uh a gra in physics the graviton is a hypothetical elementary particle that mediates the force of gravitation in the framework of quantum field theory what in in the intergalactic realm the dimensions change they're kind of funny some of them move in circles some of them move in squares they have all kinds of different shapes that's why when it comes to science there's things that move in squares what they use mathematical formula to explain the unexplainable and when they use mathematical formula in uh, the turn of the century in mit they discovered something called a graviton and i want to explain this so that we can understand oh please because i'm sure the bible just is chock full of graviton theory stand faith and then i'm going to go back to the whole issue of the church a graviton is mathematically understood as something that has a trajectory that moves into a straight line in other words if it starts here and it ends up there it has to move in a straight line it's called a graviton so scientists couldn't understand in the in the in these different dimensions how it is if the dimensions make curves and turns how it is that this this graviton still moves in a straight line and then they discovered how much do you want to bet she's completely blowing smoke here that the gravitons does not adjust to the dimensions but the dimensions adjust to the graviton this is where faith comes in Faith is like God shooting something from out of the 10th dimension into your mind, downloads it as a vision or purpose or an assignment or a mission in the earth realm. And he says, you are here and I want to take you there. And because the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, he moves you in a straight line towards destiny and purpose. That means that circumstances and situations have no effect on you, but you affect circumstances and situations unbelievable I, this is just one litany of blasphemy after blasphemy after this is not biblical truth and all these women are eating up all of this pig slop all of this bovine scatology i mean in big heaping spoonfuls and it's garbage it, this is excrement and they think that they're getting teaching that that tells them something about reality when it comes to god so that when you get into situations, situations necessarily adjust to accommodate your vision, your purpose, your anointing. You, that means you don't have to make adjustment. The world has to adjust to accommodate you. That's why when... Oh, brother. Now apparently you're God.
Elijah came into the earth realm and he got on top of the mountain and all the uh, uh, demonically possessed high priests were there and they had principalities that were supporting them. All he had to do is say, God, I'm coming as your servant. Prove to these individuals who I am. Uh, there, there are people standing up and raising their hands as if this the God, the Holy Spirit, is moving on this woman to utter these blasphemies. Give us an open heaven. The Bible said when the heavens opened, fire came down from heaven. It slew 850 demonically possessed individuals. People- no, the fire that came from heaven, at, uh, Elijah Mount Carmel, just consumed the sacrifice. Elijah then turned around and told the people there to grab the prophets of Baal and kill them. You're not speaking the truth about that little event there. But then again, I don't think you've spoken anything true that I've heard so far, Cindy. People don't understand how much power this man had. He had so much power. His mental, his mental, his mental was so powerful. Mantle. Uh, sorry. <laughs> His mantle. That when Elijah said, I want that mantle. And Elijah said, well, if you see me when you go, you can have it. That means that he had to be on a 24-hour spiritual surveillance. It meant when what? Elijah went to sleep, he had to be awake. It meant if Elijah had to go to the bathroom, he better have a peephole. Because he did What? not know the timing of the Lord and so what happened was when the mantle was getting ready to be released God why is it that charlatan people like this are able to draw tens of thousands of people to come and see and hear them speak this utter blasphemous nonsense this is complete gobbledygook and all these women there are shaking their heads like, oh, ah, wow, we've never heard this incredible spiritual truth before. Wow, we got to, oh, this is opening up the scriptures to us so we can really understand it. They're all taking notes like their very lives depend upon it. They're deceived. This woman is uttering absolute lies and satanic blasphemies. Open the eye of his mentoree. Open the eye of his student. And when his eyes was open, he saw something in the spirit realm. And what he saw in the spirit realm, he saw what his mentor represented. The power was not in the cloak. The power is what was in the anointing that was upon the man's life. This man was so powerful. The Bible indicated that he had legions of angels that supported him in ministry. In other words, what people see is you, evangelist, a prophet is by them. But what they don't see is the quadrant of angels that have been summoned to support you. There are angelic beings that have your DNA. The Bible says... What? There are angelic beings that have my DNA. Really? Where does it say that in the Bible? That when Rhoda was interceding for Peter, Peter was apostolic. There was an angel that was released. One angel, one angel, one angel. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 37, the Bible said, one angel has the power to destroy 185,000 men. Jesus, in his kingdom authority, stood up and they said, who do you think you are? He said, if I wanted to... 
apparently this woman is capable of casting a spell on people and make them think that this gobbledy gook and complete excrement that she's preaching is actually, well, the food of heaven with the aroma of, of warm bread and, and true teaching. This is all garbage. I would summons 12 legions of angels. This is the mantle that was upon the head of Jesus. What does that mean? If Jesus Christ is the head of the church, that means the minimum we have fighting for us in the realm of the spirit is 12 legions. That's the minimum. What does that mean? It simply means this. I'm going to tell you what it means. What you're speaking is just gibberish. It doesn't mean anything. If one, one, one angel has the power to destroy 185,000 men, that's an entire city. One angel can destroy an entire city. Uh, you're talking about the angel of the Lord destroying the Amalekites? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that, was, that was Jesus. Twelve legions. Uh, that means a legion is 6,000 angels. So that's 6,000 times 12. This woman is... Uh, I can't believe this. That's 72,000 multiplied by the power of an angelic force. That's 185,000 times 72,000. That puts us in billions. That's why the Bible says you don't have to fear as a prophet because they may see you as one woman, but what they don't see is the angelic host that is backing you up. That's why Paul said, though I speak with tongues of man and of angels, what was he talking about he said i have a tongue that summons angels that's why i tell people don't mess with a man or a woman of god you don't know the power that they have in the realm of the spirit listen this a mental a mental is not just the unction to function but the mental is all the resources that god gives you in every dimension to fulfill your mission and your purpose here in the earth realm. That takes me back to the question of the church. <laughs> the church is here. Uh, yeah, you notice what's getting lost in all of this? Yeah, Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. This woman is literally preaching garbage to scratch itching ears. How is it that the church has become this stupid, this deceived, that these women are being held up and able to draw tens of thousands of people to their conference under the pretense that what they're doing is the work of God and preaching the truth of God? Unbelievable. This ought to cause you to stop and drop to your knees and pray to God for repentance and the forgiveness of your own sins and understand that if it wasn't for the grace of Christ, this would be you. And the reality is, is that some of you listening, this was you. We've got to reach out to our neighbors in love and preach the truth to them to set them free from the bondage of this lie, these kinds of deceptions. Juanita Bynum and Cindy Trim are not women of God. They are doing the work of the devil. And they're sending people to hell and they're sending themselves there too. For the sake of their listeners, you have got to step up. You have got 
to show your neighbor enough love to tell them the truth. Because I know that there are some of you listening today who are listening to this podcast who know people who believe that Cindy Trim and Juanita Bynum are prophetesses, or that they're that they're women of God, and that what they say is the gospel truth. There isn't any gospel truth in any of this. There's no good news in this. This is all damning, blasphemous, gobbledygook lies. And the people who believe this are going to hell. Are you going to stand by and watch them go? We're up on our second break. When we come back... We're going to hear uh, Judah Smith at uh, Perry Noble's uh, leadership conference. What you're going to hear is Judah Smith preaching to a bunch of pastors, pretty much this kind of garbage. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two, Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. Seems like every uh, everything we've done this week hasn't been a traditional sermon, well, with the exception of the Monday's show. We did two sermons, 
all the stuff that we've been reviewing that's, well, not quite <clears throat> biblical. It hasn't been sermons. It's been more like lectures or things like that. Today's no different. All right, let's go. good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is really not really a sermon. It's a lecture given to pastors by Pastor Judah Smith. Now, who is it that invited Judah Smith to address these pastors? Well, it was none other than Bishop... Perry Noble. Now you're going, wait a second, why are you calling him Bishop Perry Noble? Well, because Perry Noble has hung a shingle out claiming that he's got services that he would like to offer the world to pastor your pastor. So then I asked the question, like I did last, you know, just a few days ago, is, is uh, Perry Noble your pastor's bishop? Keep in mind, there's no way to um, impeach, rebuke, correct... Or get rid of Bishop Perry Noble because, uh, well, he's not accountable to anybody. Yet, he's offering his bishop services to pastors. That being the case, I'd like you to hear what uh, Bishop Perry Noble is offering to other pastors by way of advice, by way of other featured pastors. Now, as you listen to Judah Smith, I want you to pay close attention to the fact that this was really kind of the the pinnacle moment at the uh, leadership conference. This is a the, well, this was the lecture that everyone was talking about, and I was sitting there going, he didn't say anything. You'll notice that there's a lot of similarity to what Judah Smith says and the crazy convoluted stuff that we heard from Cindy Trim. There's a reason why I played Cindy Trim's stuff before we went into the second break. So without any further ado, here's Judah Smith. Let me kill that music. Here we go. What an honor to be here. Uh, He's got a Justin Bieber haircut going on here. I'm not kidding. I want to uh, first and foremost thank uh, Pastor Perry for for uh, having my how, how do you take a pastor seriously who has a haircut that literally looks like it was purposely modeled after Justin Bieber myself and uh, never travel alone our youth pastors here pastor Elijah but uh, pastor Perry thank you for your leadership thank you for the excellence in which you uh, lead can we honor pastor Perry and his wife their whole team come on can we thank New Spring Church for putting this amazing conference on come on well done. Uh, 
I realize that uh, all of the the glory and attention ought to go to Jesus, but what I found is that uh, Jesus has left us in his physical form, and he's now using people, and he needs willing vessels, and uh, there would be no new spring church, at least not like this, without the faithfulness of a man and his wife to trust God and to launch out, and uh, it's pretty amazing what God can do with a man and a woman who's uh, willing to follow him, amen? And uh, you can imagine for somebody like like me, uh, young and just uh, from Seattle, uh, what a privilege to sit here and listen to uh, world class leaders who have been doing this for a long time. They're not they're not new at this. Don't call it a comeback. They've been here for years. Uh, that's in the book of Hezekiah, uh, <laughs> or the book of LL Cool J. But. Uh, it's just awesome. I know, uh, I think Pastor Mark had to take off and go back to our hood, but uh, what a privilege to be here with Pastor Mark. He really is like a big brother to me, and we have a very special friendship, committed to him just a few weeks ago, came and preached at our church, and uh, so cool just to be able to hang out with him. And then Pastor Stephen Furtick, I consider him a great friend, and uh, he looks like he's been doing steroids, but I love him. He's all jacked up. And uh, I kind of feel the same way Pastor Perry felt last night. We're having this dinner, and they were using words. Uh, I was nodding my head like, yeah, you know, but I had no idea what they were talking about, you know. But you just try to look smart. But uh, to be here with, uh, with Francis Chan and uh, Judd Wilhite, and then tonight to hear from, from Andy Stanley, uh, what, what a great opportunity for us to glean and learn. Can I hear an amen? We're truly blessed. Amen. Would you go with me in the Bible? I'd like to talk from the Bible. And uh, as opposed to the alternative, go with me to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. And uh, again, I'm just so so blessed to be here. Just about a year ago, took over leadership of uh, my father's church. My mom and dad built a great church, 18 years uh, gave their life to Seattle, Washington, and I get to carry on their legacy. I'm blessed. As far back as we can tell, uh, they say I'm the seventh generation preacher in our family. Uh, that's a number of perfection. i just thrown that out there. But anyways, uh, Mark, Mark chapter 4, to God be the glory. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, it says, uh, On the same day would evening to come, he, Jesus, said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat, as he was, and the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, I'm trying to find it in my Bible. That transition didn't work so well. Teacher. Uh, academia was not my strong point. Teacher, do you not care that... As you're going to find out, neither is biblical hermeneutics. Okay, because, listen, uh, here we are. We're in Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you need to open it up. Okay? Context, context, context. Here's the question I have for you. When the Holy Spirit... Inspired, inspired John Mark to pen these words that then became 
Mark chapter 4, you know, after we put in, you know, chapter headings, chapter numbers and verse numbers, did the Holy Spirit intend for this passage to be used the way that Judah Smith is going to use it? Is this about uh, some vision that God has given your pastor regarding how to do church or anything like that? Okay, let's read it in context, and I'm going to back it up. Okay, we're going to back up just a smidge. And uh, hmm, let's go to verse 21, just to get some good context. Here's what it says. And he, Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, and and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what what parable shall we use for it? Well, it's it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds of the earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now, on that day, when the evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. You're talking about the Sea of Galilee here. And then leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling But he was in the stern, he was asleep on the cushion, and they woke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, this section of Mark chapter 4, about the great windstorm and the tiny little boat on the Sea of Galilee, and them perishing and Jesus asleep in the back of the boat, The punchline is the question. Filled with great fear, they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind 
and the sea obey him. This section of this gospel is about Jesus. Because the answer to the question, who then is this? This is none other than God in human flesh. God among us. God for us. God come to die on the cross in our place, taking our punishment upon himself so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we may have peace with God. That's really the whole point. This passage is about Christ. Now, with that in mind, pay close attention to what Judah Smith does with this text. We were perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I suppose one of my missions and and desires today in just a few minutes that we share is that, that maybe you'd leave this session with a great calm, with a supernatural calm. Not that all of your pain is gone, not that all of your problems have ceased, but in the midst of the pain and the problems, you have a calm, calm that only comes from Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter 5, verse 1, then, then, would you, would you just underline that word then uh, if you want to? It's a free country. It's a merely a suggestion. You could do whatever you'd like. But I'm just suggesting that you underline the word then. Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. Now leapfrog with me to Mark chapter. Okay, hang on a second. He added in chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the, of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. See, the narrative continues, but he wants you to stop at the beginning of the basically the, tell, the telling of the next story. Then they came to the other side of the sea and the country of the Gerasenes. Stop. Okay, watch what he's doing here because he's going to allegorize this text and misapply it, and he's already given you hints of that case. Of that's what he's going to do because of the fact that he said, now, if I, if I have one hope for you today, that will you leave that you will have peace and calm. That's a nice thought, but that's really not what this text is about. Let's continue. Six, Mark chapter six, and we'll find another storm, another storm. Mark chapter 6 and verse 45 says, Immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he sent the multitude away, when he sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was Patrick Swayze, and naturally they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them. I love Jesus. He's so crazy. This is Jesus. The wind is blowing, and Jesus says, be of good cheer. If I was in the boat, I'd yell back, why? That's how some of you feel today. Some stranger comes from Seattle talking about be a good cheer, and you're like, why? I got no good reason to be of good cheer. And here's Jesus saying, be of good cheer. The wind has not stopped. The waves have not stopped crashing. All hell has broken loose in their life. And here's Jesus, the gall, the nerve, and the audacity to say, be of good cheer. 
And he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat, and finally the wind ceased. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled, for they not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Notice verse 53. When, would you underline that word? When they crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and anchored there. I'd like to uh, speak briefly uh, from the subject of matters of the meantime, matters of the meantime. And uh, you can write that down if you're taking notes. If you're not, uh, no problem, no condemnation, whatever. But uh, would you pray with me? It's, it's my custom oftentimes just to pray. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us Jesus. For if we'll see Jesus, we'll never be the same again. Amen. Father, we thank you for your spirit that's in this place. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would do what you do best, which is to reveal unto these leaders and pastors the beauty, the majesty, and the sufficiency of Jesus. Father, help us to get our eyes off ourselves and our eyes on Jesus. We thank you for your grace. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for the Seahawks. Thank you that they won their first game. And uh, Lord, help the Gamecocks and the Tigers. In Jesus' name, amen. Just trying to be friendly. Have you ever been on a road trip? I mean, come on, we're Americans, right? So we've all been on road trips. How many grew up doing road trips? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know, I'd, I assume take a jet airplane, but uh, we grew up broke, and uh, so uh, we, we, we went on road trips. And, and my dad loves road trips. I'm from a new generation. I don't like road trips. I just want to get to where I'm going. But dad likes to see the scenery. And so uh, perpetually growing up, we would go on one summer vacation, and uh, we didn't have the money to pay for it, but we made friends that were rich, so they paid for it, and then I married their daughter. But anyways, <laughs> I felt obligated. But... Uh, it's cool. Um, so we would drive from, from Portland, Oregon, where I grew up until I was about 13, and we'd drive to this place called Bend, Oregon, and uh, it's about two and a half hour drive or so, and uh, uh, usually right around the halfway point or so, there's this place called Detroit Lake. And, uh, you know, kids don't go to conventions or conference to learn this particular phrase. It's just kind of spontaneously comes out of them. And I think it's universal. I think it's global. Uh, we're driving, uh, dad's driving mom's shotgun and, uh, my sister and I, my older sister, uh, she's a bit of a dictator, uh, would have made a fantastic communist. But anyways, uh. She's in the back, and uh, we're just doing what we're doing, and it's a road trip. And, and I, don't, I, I don't know why it, it just comes out. My children now, they have repeated the same thing. The generational sin has been passed down. And we're driving in the car, and I say, I say, Dad. And he knew what was coming next. Here I am, 9, 10, 11 years old. Dad. Yes, my son. Are, are we there yet? And sometimes there was just silence in the front seat, like, God help me, my children are idiots. <laughs> like, if I'm the dad, won't you look around, son? Does it look like we're there? How about when the car stops and I open the door and you get out? How about then we're there? It's a problem. <laughs> of course we're not there. We're still moving. We're still en route. We are not there. I didn't know we were at Detroit Lake. I didn't know about Salem, Oregon. I knew we weren't there. I didn't know where we were. I knew we weren't there, but that's not the point, right? 
I didn't ask the question, are we there yet? Because I actually thought possibly per chance we were there. I knew we weren't there, but that's not the point. The point was me trying to tell dad, hey, dad, I've done everything I know how to do. So we need to coordinate this. After I get done doing counting the cows and playing I spy with my little eyes and slug bug and take a five minute nap, we need to coordinate because we need to get there at about the time I'm done doing what I need to do. (laughs) So what I'm really telling my dad is I'm bored. I don't know what else to do. I mean, by that time, I've listened to my yellow Sony Walkman. I listened to both sides of my Amy Grant tape. <laughs> I grew up Christian, so you have to bear with me, okay? <laughs> gospel gangsters. I mean, y'all, don't act like you know what gospel gangsters is. And, uh, you know, Petra, I slip in there. Mom didn't know about Petra. She's a little concerned about Petra, but I slip it in there. I've done everything I know how to do. Have you ever asked God that question? Has this ever happened? Hey, God. Yes, my son. You know, I don't know how God sounds to you. He can sound whatever, but God to me has a low, deep, bravado voice. Some of you are like, yes, my son. You know, that's not God to me, okay? So I hear, this is how I hear God, okay? Yes, my son. Are we there yet? Have you ever asked that to God? And, and, and the point is, you know you're not there. Wherever there is, that spiritual breakthrough, that goal, that plan, that mission, that purpose, that vision God put in your heart, and you're on your way, you're en route, you know that you're not there, your spouse knows that you're not there, your leadership team knows that you're not there, but have it, has it ever just slipped out in the moment of intimacy and honesty? And t- okay, stop. This is where, This is the whole point. He's taking this text from Mark 4 and 6 and is now, these are texts apparently about traveling from here to there, there being whatever the vision that you have for your church is. Transparency with God. Hey God, are we there yet? And it's not that as pastors and leaders, we actually think we're there. Wherever your there is, I hope you know what I'm talking about when I say there. All of our theirs are different, similar in mission, but different in expression. So we know we're not there. Some of the reason you're here is because you know you're not there. And you're trying to get there. (laughs) Have you ever asked God in the middle of that, "Are, are we there yet? In other words, God, I've done everything I know how to do. We should be there by now. Are we there yet? And what happens in the information age, because we have so many book publishes and so many blogs and so many podcasts that we got people giving us perfect mathematical equations to produce multiplication in your local church. So we implement all of somebody else's ideas and concepts and it doesn't work. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. We're going, God, are we... I've done everything I know how to do. I've done everything they know how to do. And he knows how to do. Are we there yet? Here's the real kicker. Uh, What I'd like to do is is tell you this afternoon uh, when you're going to be there. Uh, But I have no idea. That's what I love about our passage that we're looking at just for a few moments. It says, and, and, and then... And when, like, 
How ambiguous are those two words? Then they crossed over to the other side. Uh, that's not ambiguous at all. That means then, back then when they actually, you know, crossed over to the lake and then they arrived. Because this is a historical event. This is not something that can be repeated. Jesus, the, oh man, then, that's referring to the then when they actually finished crossing over. This is not hard. Then they had crossed over to the other side. When is then and when? It's when it is. That's what it is. You know what's amazing? You can do your investigation of these two storms in the Gospel of Mark and you will discover that there is no exact timeline. We cannot be exactly sure how long it took from from the one side to the other side. We don't know. The truth is this, my friend. You don't know the then and the when and neither do I. Some will want to tell you, if you do these seven indisputable, non-negotiable steps, then you will get to the other side. And when you start... Oh, man. Uh, That text has nothing to do with church growth. Trying to make God a mathematical equation. He will ensure that those seven steps don't work. (laughs) Because this is about a relationship. The spice, the consistency, the basis of a relationship is that it is unpredictable. There is spontaneity. And with God, he is a person. And as leaders of churches and leaders in the, in the kingdom of God, we've got to understand that what works for my brother may not work for you because you are in a dynamic relationship with your Savior and your God and the way that he will teach you and train you and lead you possibly may be different than me. So don't turn this into equation. Don't turn God into a vending machine. Punch in these six steps and I get what I want from God. Well, then you don't need God anymore because you've cracked the code. You don't need a relationship. You just need your leadership principles. But God doesn't work that way. I think what makes my marriage sexy is that, yes, sir, is that... I love speaking to young people because I get up young people, you know, and I said, I've been married 10 years and stuff, and they look at me, and, and I was my dad's youth pastor for 10 years, best job of my whole life, and it's about the only job of my whole life. But anyways, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I was a janitor for a while, and youth pastor was better than being the janitor. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, young people look at me like, oh, God, this guy's like, outdated. And this is why I tell them all the time. I said, don't look at me like, 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 like I'm outdated or I'm boring because uh, I'm having way more fun than you are. That's what I tell young people all over the world. Way more fun than you are because I have sex all the time. <laughs> Anytime I want. Yeah, thanks. I really needed to hear that. So actually, you're the loser. So if the shoe fits, wear it. But anyways, let's focus. I think what makes, what makes my marriage sexy is that uh, my wife is unpredictable. She's unpredictable. It's, it's the spontaneity and the spice of relationship. There's no mathematical equation with women. Dear God. <laughs> you teasing me, the most complex creatures in all of God's creation. There is no equation from this side to to the other side. 
So here's my... Have you learned anything yet, really, what God's Word really teaches at this point? I mean, he sure can tell a good joke, can he? Yeah, he can. He's a gifted storyteller, but I, I haven't learned nothing, not one single thing so far about what God has revealed in his word. Question, here's, here's what I want us to ponder for the next 32 minutes and 40 seconds. What do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're supposed to be? What do you do when you find yourself, you're not where you used to be? I can never go back. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not where I used to be. But at the same time, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where God told me to be. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. What do I do in the meantime? What are you talking about? Isn't God sovereign? I mean, hello? What do you mean, where I'm supposed to be? How can that be different than where I am? Especially as a Christian. What do I do in the meantime? There are so many leaders in this room. You find yourself in the meantime. You and I need to get together because I can relate. I just took over my father's church. He was the founding pastor for 18 years or 17 years. And all of a sudden, in a moment, and it was suddenly, we transitioned this church. And by the grace of God, it has been, we've got a church consultant. He said, this is the most profound transition I have ever seen. It, the grace of God is amazing. And it's all because my father and his, his security and his trust in God, he got up two weeks ago and said, my son's a better preacher. He's a better pastor. The church is going to get bigger. The church is going to be stronger. It's a nice transition. It's nice. It's nice when you got a dad who trusts you and loves you. But at the same time, our church is not where it used to be. Thousands of us, whether we like it or not, we'll never be where we used to be. But at the same time, in the midst of transition, we're not where we want to be or where we're supposed to be. So what do we do in the meantime? The problem with the meantime is we live in a culture that is highlight-oriented. So not much is made of the meantime. Like Sports Center does not record the meantime. We don't watch guys eating breakfast in the morning on game day. We just watch the touchdowns. We watch the three-point shots. We watch the goals. We watch, it's the highlights. We live in such a highlight-oriented society and culture that so, so nothing is really made of the meantime. So because of that, we kind of think that we've failed or we've done something wrong if we find ourselves in the meantime. So what happens when we come to leadership conferences and somebody asks you, they say, man, how are you doing? No, I'm, I'm, it's good, man, it's good, it's good, it's good. What we don't want to tell them is actually, uh, I'm kind of in the meantime. Nobody talks like that at leadership conferences. Man, how you doing? Well, praise God, brother, praise God, man. God's good, you know, he's faithful, God's good, God's good. The heck does that mean? My favorite line is, man, how you doing? Well, praise God. Yeah, I praise God too. I said, how are you doing? <laughs> well, God is good. I know God is good, but are you good? History doesn't record the meantime. Have you noticed that? So we, we try our best when we get in the meantime. I mean, our, our story tonight, in both cases, these disciples find themselves not where they used to be, but at the same time, not where they're supposed to be. Oh, man. Am I supposed to just sit there and go, wow, this is so deep. 
Yeah, it's unfathomable. Whoa, this is some deep spiritual insight. I just think this is complete gobbledygook. And it doesn't even properly handle God's word here. Is this why the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write these things? So that we can learn about the meantime? What are you talking about? So what do you do? I've grown up in church. I've been to more church services than you've probably had cups at Starbucks. And uh, I heard so many messages on the reason you're in the meantime is because you didn't do this or you don't have that or you haven't exercised this or you haven't declared that or you haven't. So that if you do things right, then you'll. But I found you can do everything right. And there's still going to be meantime seasons. Consider with me the Apostle Paul. He gets radically converted. Saul becomes Paul, knocked off his donkey. The audible voice of Jesus Christ speaks to him. How many think he's ready to tell people about the encounter he just had, and yet God says, no. Three years, you'll go to Arabia and Damascus, and you will be silent. The meantime, Jesus, of course, the life of Jesus, I mean, approximately 12 to 30 We hear nothing. He's in the the meantime. The meantime evidently matters to God. And what you do in the meantime is the key to that spiritual breakthrough goal, vision, passion you have for the future. Uh, So Mark wrote Mark 4 so that we can understand what the meantime is, so that we can know what we got to do in the meantime, so that we can then have a spiritual breakthrough and our vision can come about you know i read this quote at the uh, during my debate with doug Padgett. i think it applies here too it's um uh it's hl mencken's classic description of the work of uh warren gamaliel harding uh-huh let me let me see if this makes sense to you uh, this is um hl mencken he writes it reminds me of a string of wet sponges. It reminds me of tattered washing on the line. It reminds me of stale bean soup, of college yells, of dogs barking idiotically through endless nights. It is so bad that a sort of grandeur creeps into it. It drags itself out of the dark abysm I was about to write abscesses of pish and crawls insanely up to the topmost pinnacle of posh. It's a rumble and a bump and a bumble. It's a flap. It's a doodle. It's a balder. It's a dash. I mean, this is so bad and so stupid that there's some grandeur that comes upon it that the people in the audience were completely transfixed and transmogrified. Yeah, I don't even know if that's a word, but... By what this man is saying, and what he's saying is absolutely nothing. He's not saying anything. Understand the enormity of your meantime. Said you to me, would you come up with this message just from my life? I only dispense what I use myself. Uh, That explains it all. Yeah, you didn't get this from the Bible. You got this from your life. Thanks. Now I know I can just ignore all of it. I'm one of them dealers. I use my stuff. And it works. If, if we look at our passage, there's some conclusions that we can make. 
very obviously. First of all, it is very evident that it is impossible for us to get ourselves to the other side. Apart from God, we will never get to the next level or the next place or the next step in influence that God has for us. We cannot do it on our own. So God apparently, really, he he wants to take you to the next step of influence, but you can't get there on your own. Where does the Bible promise any such ridiculous thing? Bible says... In one, of the, in one of the storms in, in Mark 6, they're straining. And in all of their straining, history records, they only got about, this is in the book of John, they only got about two to three miles. Two to three miles out. Maybe as many as four, the body of water is nearly eight miles. So in all of their efforts and all of their abilities, they've only even got halfway across. So in all of your brilliance and all of your strategy and all of your ability and all of your plotting and all of your concepts and, and principles, they will never get you to where you need to be. It is by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. It's a good time to say amen to a Pentecostal preacher. The grace of God so that I can what? I, what? What am I using the grace of God for? Thank you. It's only by the grace of God. What ends up happening, as I referred to earlier, is we, uh, we get embarrassed of the meantime. And that's one of the scariest places to be as a leader, embarrassed. You know, we get together at leadership events like this, and we see one of our acquaintances and friends we've talked to. It's been a couple of years. Hey, brother, how's the church going? Man, everything's up, man. We've grown by 15%. Giving's up by 12%. Man, God's good. How are you guys doing? And instantly you go, oh, oh, you know, man, I just, things are good. Things are good. And what happens is we start manufacturing the other side. The scariest thing as a leader in my life is discover that I was actually like trying to like create in my own mind that I had arrived and we're fooling ourselves. But praise God, everything's good and everything's good and everything's not good. But what ends up happening is we get in the community of brothers and sisters and we feel the pressure because this guy's doing pretty good, that guy's doing pretty good. And so we kind of start making stuff up. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever started? What about, <clears throat> have you ever stopped to think that maybe the vision that they claim came from God didn't? And they were just making that up? That they were self-deceived or maybe instead of hearing the voice of God, they actually heard the voice of the devil? You know saying stuff and then you repeat it and you start believing it am i the only guy that's done that it's like yeah man we we've grown by 700 people like you pulled 700 people out of nowhere just pulled them out of the thin air god's just been good it's just been good i'm sure we've grown by 700 people he's good you know it's like what he's describing here is that you know what does a purpose-driven seeker-driven pastor say to his purpose-driven seeker-driven colleagues when the church that well, isn't growing when when Rick Warren and Perry Noble and Bill Hybels promised them that all they had to do was dump exegetical preaching, dump the hymns, dump everything else, and have a 35-minute rock and roll show every Sunday, followed by, um, well, a completely watered-down loser service that basically gives you five easy self-help principles to make things better for your life. And 
well, then after you did all that, well, the church isn't growing. Don't worry. Don't panic. It's not that there's anything wrong with the methodologies. No, 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 no. Stay on course. You're just in the meantime. I think that's what this is. No, no, stay on. Don't worry. You'll get there when then happens. But in the meantime, this is the important part of the thing that God's doing in your life so that you can have the breakthrough. And you don't worry. You'll grow in your influence. You'll have all those big numbers and everyone will pat you on the back and say, see what a great vision casting pastor you are. Just, but you're in the meantime right now. I think that's what's going on here, don't you? It's true. We start, start faking it. It's like, uh, you know, summer's come and gone. Uh, for you, y'all still having summer in Seattle. Summer's like a week and a half. And... Uh, sometimes, guys, you know, we forget to work out, and so then we go to the, to the swimming place lake, ocean, river, pool. And, uh, you know, guys are expected to take the shirts off when we go swimming. And I, I like the guys sometimes just keep the shirt on. Like, man, I don't even care. I'm keeping my shirt on. It's like more power to you. But most of us, you know, we feel the pressure to take our shirts off. And, and if you've ever been a guy, it's like, man, I forgot to work out. And so you show up at the pool and, and uh, <laughs> you're in a bit of a dilemma. So, so what do you do? You do what every God-fearing man does. You suck it up for two and a half hours at the pool. People try to talk to you. You can't even talk because you can't breathe. <laughs> you finally get back in the minivan and the family climbs in. You're like, my God, woman, we cannot stay at the pool for two and a half hours. I cannot suck it in that long. Lord Jesus. But as pastors and leaders, we do the same thing at church. We come to church and suck it in. How you doing? Praise God. God's good. Everything's pressure. You need any prayer? I don't need any prayer. I can pray for you because I'm the prayer warrior. I'm going to pray for you. I'm the preacher. And we preach the sermon and we got it, we got it all sucked up while we're preaching, man. It was looking good. One of them compression shirts and we are doing good and we're sucking it up and people are getting saved. Praise the Lord. Pray. Oh, amen. Praise the Lord. And we get back in the minivan with our wife and our kids. We're like, oh, God, got through another weekend and we fooled them again. And then it perpetuates because then we get together with other guys and they don't, they, uh, nobody's been on us for years. Right? So you got a group of like five or six brothers you kind of loosely relate with, kind of acquaintances, but you say you're like BFFs, but you're really acquaintances, okay? So you kind of get together kind of annually, and you see each other, hey, brother, how you doing? Praise the Lord. Brother, it's good to see you. How's everything going? It's good, man, good. And this just perpetuates itself. Five, six, seven years, finally some bold person in your loose association. Finally, you know, you guys are hanging out after one of the services. and say, can I be honest, guys? Like we've known each other for like six, seven years. Yeah, yeah, brother. Praise God. Praise God. Can I be honest? Uh, I wanna, I wanna do crack, <laughs> and I'm really considering looking at naked people on the internet late at night. That sounds real good. My wife hates me, and my kids never want to come back to church. I'm not doing good at all. And I'll tell you what happens. All of a sudden, everybody at the Waffle House goes. <laughs> Man, me too. Praise God. I tell you what, man. Lord Jesus, I'm losing my mind too. That's the first step to getting to the other side. Admitting that you're not there. 
Isn't he describing uh, the Christian life struggling against our sin? Wouldn't the solution to this be the forgiveness of sins, Christ and him crucified? I'm sorry, I'm being biblical here. I don't know what I'm thinking. If you're always fooling yourself that you're there when you're not there, it's going to be hard for you to get there. Saying, you know what, I am in the meantime. You know what, I don't really know what I'm doing. You know what, I need some help. What are you doing? How are you coping? Do you have a doctor? Counselor? Lay hands on me. (laughs) Push me over if you have to, you know. Whatever. Because, see, uh, we, we got another misconception. Uh, we think that the, only the spiritually elite get to the other side. So some of us have a concept based on the speakers that are speaking and the church and the sizes and the ministry and the influence. Uh, they, have, they, have, they have negotiated the concepts and principles and the theological nuances that I'm unaware of. They have a mystery. They have a secret. If I could untap and realize their secret, then I could go to the other side, too. And if I could just applicate and apply the word of God, then I, too, could get to the other side. Because, because they've experienced that breakthrough. If they've experienced that influence and they've experienced that growth, it's because... Because they're spiritually elite. We think the spiritually elite gain access to the other side. That's why I love Mark 6. I think it's verse 52. It says uh, they, they, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about the loaves because their hearts, these are the jokers in the boat, the missionaries God has taken to the other side. It says they did not understand what he was saying because their heart was hardened. Now, right about the time I realized that the guys I picked for my team are all all hard-hearted is the time we do a 180 with the boat, go back to the, the first side and say, I'm trading you guys. I'm trading all of you because I have a mission in mind and you're all hard-hearted. What I love about the Bible, even in the little scriptures, you see the grace of God and their hearts were hardened. Then, or when they had crossed over to the other side, is the next verse. Who is this God who takes hard-hearted leaders to the other side, to the next place, to the next level? This is great. What? How are you getting that out of this text? Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, you know, this just seems to me like some kind of commercial. Don't bail on us on the seeker-driven thing. It, I know it's not working for you, and I know we promised you big numbers and huge influence, but you're just in the meantime right now. Don't worry. God takes hard-hearted people just like you to the other side. You'll get there because the Bible says so. No, this is not what this text says at all. It's not your spiritual elitism. It's not your vast knowledge and education. It is the grace of God. The question still is begged, begs to be asked, what did they do to get to the other side? What is your other side today? What is your other side? What kind of question is this? What's my other What are you talking about, my other side? Look like. I make no apologies for this, but where our church is, I tell our churches on Sunday, this is the smallest city church will ever be in its history. You need to know that. Prepare for that. I love, I trust God. I'm enjoying the days that I have, but I know in my heart 
there's another side to God's plan. How do I get there? I used to have all kinds of concepts. We'll get there if I do this and I do that. And I, some of you are like, God, are we there yet? I've upped my Bible reading this year by 32% daily average. I've got through the one-year Bible three times this year. I've upped my daily prayer time on average 18 minutes per day. I've invited more people in my history. I've, I, have, I, have, I have cared for my wife more gently. What I've done, are we there yet? When am I going to get there? So we come to conferences like this because in our hearts, what we really want to know is what's the secret to get me to my other side? There's no secret. Sorry. So let's ask the question, what did these disciples do to deserve, which of course is the wrong word, to get to the other side? I can only find one thing. I've done my best. I mean, seriously. So apparently when they arrived on the other side, that was a reward. You, You see, getting into the boat and going to the other side, that was a journey. And so when they arrived on the other side, that was God rewarding them. Seriously, that's why God, the Holy Spirit, inspired Mark 4 and 6 to be written. You have got to be kidding me. Looked in the original language. I mean, this is just complete eisegesis. It's just... Language, and I've done my cross-references, and I've even looked at some of my commentaries, and I, I can't... Uh, there's only one thing I can find that these guys did. These hard-hearted leaders did get to the other side. Only one thing. Here it is. They didn't jump ship. They just stayed in the boat. There are people out there going, oh, wow, that's tweetable. I'll have to tweet. Oh, the, the, they, they, the, the reason why they were able to get to the other side is because they didn't jump ship. Oh, that's the most profound spiritual insight I've ever. Thank you, Pastor Judah. I was literally rolling my eyes going, you have got to be kidding me. That's not what this text is about. This is ridiculous. That's like... Well, like what I normally do here, <laughs> adventures in missing the point. Yeah, that, that passage has nothing to do with what he's saying. They just stayed in the boat. You, you can't tell me that Peter didn't straddle the boat a couple times. Shoot, man, I'm out of here. Please, man. Somebody stepped up and said, Peter, no, you're not. Get back in that boat, man. Because there's going to be times where you launch out. Leadership is all about risk. And you launch out and you say something crazy to your congregation. We're going to grow. (laughs) Everyone's like, he's getting crazy. (laughs) And you launch out. There's going to be moments where you look back where you came from and you're like, man, look at that. They're having a barbecue on the beach. Shoot, that looks fun. They're throwing the beach ball around. They got hot dogs, kosher. I mean, it's awesome. And you're looking back going, I just, just maybe, maybe how? 
maybe I'll go back. And you look towards the future and all you see is clouds mounting and waves building. God, are we there yet? What's it going to take to get to the other side? Just stay in the boat. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Seems so insignificant just, just staying around. But I've discovered, even upon reading the scripture, how significant it is just to stay where God puts you. Don't you give up. And if you've never felt like giving up, you've been a leader for less than six months. <laughs> stay in the boat. These guys have attitude problems. They are doubting. They are anxious. They are worried. They got bad confessions. But you know what? Stayed in the boat. They trusted God. Pastor Judd said it so beautifully. God, I'm, I'm all in. I'm staying in the boat. There are men and women under the sound of my voice. You have contemplated, even the days leading up to this leadership conference, you have contemplated cashing it in. I'm done. This is enough. All I see ahead of me is clouds building and waves mounting. It's enough. It's too much. What happens when we start out in ministry is there's all this promise. Do you remember back in those days? I'm going to plant this church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you launched out, and there's all this excitement. Like, I hear people in, in, in my circles. This wouldn't be in your circles because you're great people. But they, they point fingers at other people. Like, you hear about so-and-so. They, they gave up. I can't believe that. They cashed it in. You hear about so-and-so. And I used to go, yeah, man, please, I can't believe that. Now I understand. You know, Proverbs tells us why people feel like giving up. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Remember when you first had that vision, that idea, that passion, and hope built in your heart, and you thought, God, this is going to be awesome. But somebody forgot to tell you that sometimes from this side to the other side can be years, decades. That's right. Don't give up. You can have big influence and big numbers, and you too can be invited to speak at Perry Noble's Pastoral Leadership Conference. Just stay in the boat. Don't give up. Don't cash in. You're going to be great in everybody's minds because that's what God's vision for you was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, notice uh, who's the focus here. It's not Christ and him crucified. It's... Stroking that pastoral ego. Don't worry, you'll get there. You'll cash out. We'll all sing your praises and tell you what a vision, visionary pastor you were. That's why Abraham was so ticked off in Genesis 15. When God says, I'm your great and exceeding reward. And Abraham's like, please, man. Because for 20 years, he had had promises. Three visitations from God and nothing had happened. So Abraham developed a leadership attitude. Talk is cheap, God. Yeah, right, because, you know, when you when your pastor supposedly gets a vision from God, it's the same thing as, like, when God came and visited Abraham and told him that he was going to have a son. It, it's just the same thing. 
I mean, you vision casting pastors, I mean, you're up there with Abraham. How many more dreams and visions and hopes and desires and plans are you going to give me and they're going to remain unfulfilled? I'm done. I'm out. This is ridiculous. God can't even barely convince Abram that he's going to do what he said he's going to do because too much time lapsed. So because of the delay, we assume we are denied. But just because you're delayed does not mean your dream is denied. God is true to his word. I said God is true to his word. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, and the, the latter part of the verse, and you can put it on the screen, see if I can quote it right. It says, but when, when like the fruit comes on the tree, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. And the fruit comes on the tree, what I'm talking about. <laughs> I put scripture to memory. When the desire comes, it's a tree of life. I, I, I love scriptures like this because we read over them like, praise the Lord, when the desire comes. But it's like, and like that helps. When is when? Isn't that the problem in the verse? But when desire comes, well, pastor, when is when? It's when it is. It's when it is, man. I have no idea. For my life or your life. But I think there'll be a win. We just stay in the boat. We did this whole study on Galatians, and then we preached through it for several months at our church. And Galatians 6, 9, if you could put that up on the screen. That's a good verse. I love the corporate nature of this verse. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I don't know what that means to you. But notice it says in due season. Isn't that the problem with that verse? The heck is due season. When your season's due, man, that's when it is. Cool. That's what keeps God God. Me not. When is this all going to work out? I don't know, but I'm all in. I'm just going to stick it out. Have you seen the barbecue? Have you seen the volleyball? Have you seen the beach ball? Yeah, I just, just going to stick it out. Sometimes, sometimes you need a friend in the boat to tell you, I'm not going to let you get out. Like, I think these last six years have been the most painful years of my whole life. Six years ago, the doctor said to my dad, uh, the max you'll live is three years. They diagnosed, gave him a diagnosis of multiple myeloma, cancer of the blood, my hero, my best friend other than my wife. My dad's my best friend. Talk every day. Before we flew out here, I, just, I spent the night with him at the hospital just hanging out talking. My hero, my dad, my spiritual father and my natural father could throw football 60 yards, could go on and on and on. And then... Dad loses weight. Now he weighs less than me, and he's, he's a lot shorter than me. He used to be an inch taller than me, and he's lost like five inches. I'm always giving him a hard time. I'm finally taller than him. But it's been difficult. We're not where we used to be, but we're not where we're supposed to be. My Bible says Jesus can heal people. So I've been praying that Jesus, according to Scripture, would heal my dad. He's not healed yet. 
What's your explanation? Please don't give it to me because I've heard it all. I just think it's my job to believe and to stay in the boat. I don't have an explanation. Just in the meantime, our congregation has watched their hero, their pastor, for six years. He's lived twice as long as the doctor said he should live. That's a victory right there. What do you do in the meantime? I'll tell you what I'm learning to do. Just trust him. Just, just hold on. I love, I'm, I'm going to end and I'm one of those Pentecostal guys so somebody can play the piano so I sound really spiritual. <laughs> Be great. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> You're awesome, man. Bring the Holy Ghost. Come on. There we go. There we go. That was quite a confession, wasn't it? You know, you got to, the Holy Ghost doesn't come unless you got the sappy music in the background. I think that was, um, that was confession, not humor. Ephesians, this scripture is so awesome, talking about the armor of God, and you know it. It says, uh, having done all to stand. Hey, God, are we there yet? Is the healing, has it happened yet? Has the growth happened? Has the restoration happened? Has the breakthrough happened? Has the vision been realized? The desire you put in my heart 22 years ago. God, are we there yet? What we're really saying is I've done everything I know how to do. I've prayed all the prayers. I've studied the book. I've declared it. I've believed it. I've stood on it. I've preached it. Are we there yet? When's my church going to grow? When's my baby going to be healed? When are my finances going to be fixed? God, I've done everything I know how to do. Uh, Where does God promise that your church is going to grow? Or that your baby's going to get healed or any of that stuff. Not there yet. Are we there yet? Sometimes it seems like there's no reply. So having done all to stand, the scripture says, stand. Stand there. Whatever you do, here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced leaders try to do too much in the meantime. They try to do too much. It's too much. Try too hard. Do too many things. I'm going to fix this. And I'm going to, of course, it's men. We're the big fixers. Our wives have problems. All they want us to do is listen, but we, got, we go to fixing. And some of us, we lead our churches like that. I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to fix that. And if I could just tie up all the loose ends, then we'll finally get to the other side. And then you tie up all the loose ends, and nothing happened. Oh, God, what? I must be missing something. You're not missing anything because you have Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I'll stay in the boat amidst the wind and the waves and the chaos any day as long as Jesus is in my boat. You can keep your beach ball and your kosher hot dogs. I'm staying in the boat because where he is, that's where I'm supposed to be.
I, you know, everyone's going amen, and I, and sitting there, I don't, the, the, the emperor has no clothes. This doesn't make any, this is just ridiculous. Unbelievable. When does God promise any of this stuff to any of us? So what are you going to do? Don't give up. You're going to stand. What do you do? When you're not where you used to be. But you're not where you're supposed to be. You repent. <laughs> I think that's the easy answer. Uh, Judah, yeah, this soul-seeker-driven, purpose-driven thing is in rebellion to the clear teaching of God's word. You repent. That's what you do. I tell you what you do. You just stand. Now stay right here, God, because you called me. And you anointed me by your grace. I end with this. I end right here. As a little boy on Friday nights, we'd have family movie night. We'd watch fun movies and we'd lay on this big couch that dad bought at a garage sale. And smelled like smoke. We, we'd watch the Apple Dumpling Gang or something. Condor Man, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. We'd watch these movies and when you're eight nine you your eyes are always bigger than your stomach and you always think you can stay up later and eat more sure enough every time i'd fall asleep on the big couch in the basement something crazy would happen in the morning i'd i'd wake up in the morning and i'd be in my bed i'd open the covers and i'd be in my pajamas and you know when you're eight years old you're looking around going this is crazy And you'd ask the question, how did I get here? I'll tell you how you got there. When you didn't have enough strength, when you were tired and you fell asleep, while you were sleeping and while you were resting, dad found you and he picked you up in his arms and he took you where you needed to be. Some of you, you are so restless and you're so anxious and you're so worried and you're so stressed. God, I got to fulfill the mission. I got to fulfill the plan. I got to see the vision played out in our ministry. God, and what he wants you to do is just rest in his sufficiency. And while you trust and while you rest, there is one neither slumbers nor sleeps. He will be the faithful one. He is the righteous one. He is the holy one. He is all sufficient. He is the beginning and he is the end. And he is everything in between. He is your source. And while you sleep, he will sail you to the other side. And there's going to come. Well, that sounds so inspirational. While I'm sleeping, he'll sail me to the. And he's not talking about, you know, salvation. He's talking about fulfilling the so-called vision that apparently he gave you. Come a day and there's going to come a season where you're going to wake up and you're going to say, my God, how did I get here? It was by his grace and his grace alone that took you to where you were supposed to be. Come on, church. Let's magnify the king of kings. And For what? It's not what he's done. And the Lord of Lords. Come on, he's our source. He's our strength. Jesus, we love you. We love you. And we trust you, God. 
Trust him for what? To fulfill the so-called vision he's given you? We trust you, God. We trust you, God. Jesus. 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 If you say, Judah, I'm, I'm in the meantime. You're talking to me. I'm in the meantime. Would you just lift up your hands? So, man, I'm in the meantime. I'm in oh, raise your hand if you're in the meantime. Oh, boy. In the meantime, whatever you do, don't you give up. You stand. 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 Jesus, I stand here as a friend to my brothers and my sisters. And I pray, God, in this moment, you'd use me like a friend in their boat to say, I will not let you jump ship. And I pray right now by the grace of God that you'd surround them by your presence. God, we don't even need to know how it's all going to play out. We just need to know that you're with us, that you're in our boat. I just need to know today, God, that you're with me. I pray right now for your presence in this place to minister to my friends, to minister to these pastors and these leaders. You're going to make it. You're going to be who God called you to be. Just hold on and stand. We declare it in Jesus' name. Jesus. I will exalt thee. Jesus. All right. The uh, sermon is over. Um, The pep talk, the don't jump the purpose-driven ship. No, God's going to get you to the other side of your vision. Yeah, here's what Stephen Furtick said about <clears throat> Judah Smith's uh, sermon during his lecture. Did you enjoy Pastor Judah Smith? No. That's LeBron. Don't go- No, that's not LeBron. That's Michael Madoff. Go back home and try to play like him. You can't. Don't do it. You can't. You can't do it. He came to my church and thought about moving my membership to Seattle. Why? So that you can hear him twist God's word more and you can be deceived more than you already are? 'Twisted God's word, allegorized it, turned it into something it, the Holy Spirit never intended it for it to say. To basically tell these pastors, don't jump ship. Yeah, I, I know we promised you your church was going to grow. And uh, you're just in the meantime, but don't worry. There's a then, and, and, and there's a when and a then, and then you'll just be on the other side, and boom, that's because that's what that passage about the boat and the storm was all about, apparently. Folks, when are we going to get back? When are we gonna? When are we gonna get back to what God has called the church to do? When are we gonna say enough is enough with these silly Justin Bieber haircut wannabe, uh, relevant, self-absorbed, Bible-twisting so-called pastors? You think God's kingdom is advanced when men like this? twist God's word to make it say things it never meant to say, to give assuring words from God that God never gave to assure them so that they can confirm the false dreams and visions they have for the churches that they're so-called pastoring, 
that are basically dedicated to entertaining goats rather than feeding God's sheep? How long are we going to continue to put up with this? These pastors are a pimple on the behind of the body of Christ. They need to be lanced, and we need to be done with them. These are not shepherds. These are con men. God's shepherd are humble men who care for and feed God's sheep with God's word, who don't twist God's word, who don't cast false visions about their big dreams for themselves so that they can have all this power and influence and everyone can pat them on the back and say, oh, look how what a big church you've grown. No. This was at a pastoral leadership conference put on by Bishop Perry Noble. If your pastor has Perry Noble as his bishop, may I strongly suggest that you need to find another pastor. You need to find a pastor who has a real pastor's heart, who really feeds God's sheep with God's word, and would never consider Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, or Perry Noble, or Stephen Furtick, or any of these guys to be their bishop. Yeah, that's what a bishop is, a pastor to pastors. And what gets lost in all of this? The gospel is what gets lost. The sound preaching of God's word, Christ and him crucified for our sins, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And what's it exchanged for? Shallow, hollow words. The promise of magic beans that produce nothing. This isn't how God's kingdom has grown. This had nothing to do with the kingdom of God. This is all about scratching ears, and boosting egos for grand delusions of delusions of grandeur is what it is. May God grant us repentance. To say enough is enough, we don't need these men in our pulpits. What we need are men of God who rightly handle God's word, who preach the word in season and out of season and know nothing except for Christ and him crucified. We're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring this important, challenging radio broadcast to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate. The other says, join our crew. Pick one. Fill it out. We really cannot survive without your financial assistance. All right. If you'd like to send me your feedback, you can contact me and send it along. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or it has to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. It's really all about him and what he's done for you. Amen. Amen.